0: Hey, happy Friday, everyone. It's good to see you again on Hollywood Breaks. Um, as always, we have exciting things happening in the week of Hollywood and many things to cover, but this week we have a very special way of covering it. Uh, Keith's friend, Thomas Jageas is joining us today, and Thomas is a storyteller. That's what I'm gonna tell you. We already know a lot about Thomas, his background, and even his last name is fascinating. So Keith, I can understand why you and Thomas get along so well. And I know that many of the great quotes that we've used here on the podcast are, are now sourced with Thomas. So why don't you yes. uh, say hello and welcome your friend Thomas.
1: Oh, thank you, Tim. Always good to be with you and welcome everyone. I'm uh, very excited about today's guest. Uh, Thomas joins us. Um, I met Thomas, uh, obviously at Fox. Um, he was actually one of our advisors on the high potential program and that was sort of my first interaction with him and uh, you know sort of our our relationship sort of blossomed from there as they say and uh, I kept in touch with him throughout my career at Fox and you know we always had our little lunches at an intercontinental and uh, (laughs) you know obviously him working international and then ultimately rising to the head of global marketing with uh, his partner Paul Hanneman Obviously, we worked closely together in that particular regard as well, because obviously I was in creative advertising, so working on a lot of materials. Um, and yes, he is um, the author of several of the quotes that I have used here. The uh, testing quote, which Thomas, I'll refresh your memory. You, you told me once that testing was like a lamp on the street, the yeah, the lamppost. The drunk man uses it to lean on it. The silver man uses it as, as a guide.
2: As illumination, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I thought that was always brilliant. So I've used that here. So um, welcome, Thomas. We're, we're, very wel- we're very grateful to have you here. And so, um, you know, what we usually do with guests uh, is we start off with like sort of just give us a little backstory on you and, you know, how you ended up in the business, where you started and ultimately what you're up to these days.
2: Um, was I started way, way back, yeah, um, born and raised in Sweden and I only studied for like a year university, one year film history and film theory. And in those days before pre-internet and pre, uh, electric light, I guess, and stuff as well. Um, it was no way to sort of figure out how to get into the industry. I tried to like walk up to studios and say, like, can I have a job? And they say, what do you want to do? Um, make films maybe it was like, okay thank you goodbye we'll, make don't call me don't call me don't call us we won't call you kind of thing so um and then it came in through the sort of the back door i worked uh, in advertising sales and then got a job at an advertising agency that thankfully uh, were like the big advertising agency for the film industry in sweden so i became sort of the account manager for the biggest local uh distributor and production company uh, svensk or sf And they were handling Fox, so first I got a job at Svensk SF, and I met the Fox people, and got offered a job after I think a year and a half I've been there to move to the UK, and become the marketing director for Fox in the UK. So I packed my two bags and said goodbye to my girlfriend and said that's it, and then moved over to. (laughs) Sorry, the career comes first. Yeah, (laughs) I love you, but not that much. Uh, And then. um, moved to london and it was scary because i didn't know anything right then i just moved into hotel first and rented an apartment and i did that uh for about six years i came back to sweden to help fox
0: the hotel or or the job for six years <laughs>
2: yeah yeah, the, yeah exactly it was like the the chelsea hotel in new york is so that you go there to die basically and overdose no i, I stayed fox uh, in the uk for about six years and then um asked if there was other opportunities and there were uh, then I relocated to Hong Kong and uh, overseeing Asia Pacific all the marketing from Japan in the North and Australia New Zealand the South and India uh, in the West and that was amazing I was there for four years from 98 to 2002.
0: One thing I always want to I'm curious about is there are moments in our careers right that we're living out Almost like you, I went door to door in Burbank and got my first job, you know. So there's this getting yourself in the door. But then there's this navigation process. And the, and when when they say, hey, you, do you want to go to Hong Kong and, you know, take over in, international business there? What's what is that move like? What do you what do you feel like your job is? What's the new challenge and open up that kind of marketplace or a career move?
2: It, it was it's it's what I've learned like with everything, and when I got, you know, the offer to move to London, that was such a big one, and I never considered even. And I learned that you just don't say no to things like that. When, when it you know, the, the old, you know, trope when, you know, opportunity comes knocking, you know, you, you, you definitely open the door, you take it off the hinges, right? And you just say, please. It's like, you have to. I mean, otherwise, imagine like, imagining what if, right? If you've never done it, it's better to do something and fail, right? Than not try it so much better because you know one thing I've, I've also learned like when you don't get what you want right? you get something better you get experience right and and you move on from that one and, and eventually you you will get what you want
0: yeah what I hear you saying is that I totally agree. It's like you have to be bold
2: yeah and it was sort of it was sort of easy I tell you so a, a small anecdote as well when I got the job um, at Svensk back then um, they were about to, to uh, fire the advertising agency I worked for. And I had to do, fix it and come up with a campaign for Raising Arizona, the, the Coen brother film. And I brought in a friend of mine who is like the funniest guy I know. And I, I had to sort of retell the movie for him, to sort of the re- react. And then we wrote the copy and we came up with the, you know, the print campaign and trailer ideas and everything and and the rest is history. They loved it. and. And then we kept the agency, kept the account. And then they hired me to them, to the, uh, uh, to the film company as well, distributors. So it's like everything, I mean, everything, no matter what people talk about about talent and all that stuff, it is timing as well, right? It's, it is luck timing, be at the right time at the right place. There are geniuses out there that unfortunately just weren't at the right place at the right time, right? And and they will make it, but, it's it is luck so many times, and and the idea for me to just move to Hong Kong as well and said yes, uh, and my then my now ex-wife, but my wife thankfully uh, came along as well, and uh, that's where I met Paul Hanneman that I then worked with uh, in Los Angeles a few years later, so it sort of all came together really well.
0: So uh, when we were doing the pre-show, you and Keith were talking about. Really, the difference between and Keith, you might explain this better than me. But the difference between what you guys were doing domestically when it came to film and internationally. But when I think of raising Arizona as international film, I just wonder how how does it even play? Like, where is the context that you have to, to put people into and to get to get come to the theaters?
2: It's funny. It played really well. First of all, it was a fucking great movie. But we made a, I don't know why, and now I can't. I can only paraphrase it. But we made like connections to cultural icons, right? So, there's something like, uh, this is like a comic strip at that time, you know, Blondie and and Blondie's husband, Dagwood, whatever, had three kids. Ronald and Nancy has two. And then it was like someone else, and then the two lead characters, Raising Arizona, only wants one. You know, Raising Arizona, you make them, adopt them, or you steal them. So that was like the sort of the copy, like something like that. Right. In, in, in Swedish. It sounded better in Swedish, um, everything does. Um, but it's that one was more like just how do we connect it to something that people know? Because, yes, it was like a very odd film and it did incredibly well because it was I mean, a great movie. And Coen Brothers had only done, I think, Blood Simple before that one, maybe something else uh, before that. So they weren't really the the known entity that they are now. But um but it's, but it's interesting because we talked about it beforehand, how how you have to adapt um, campaigns and, and not only campaigns. I think the, the greatest success that we had on the international side is how we dealt with uh, animation. If you go to Disney and at least in those days and DreamWorks that we worked with later on, they sort of when they hired local voices, they had to sound like. You know the original voice in the in the original english-speaking movie right that was their strategy so eddie murphy as donkey in 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 shrek they try to find someone that sounded like eddie murphy and we said like that doesn't make sense if you listen to for instance borat you know who's got a very special anything you just mimic that one when you do the german dub or the spanish dub and everything but it doesn't work because it's not then as funny. So the, the Borat voice in German sounds very, very different. And what we did with the Ice Age movies, we treated them like local movies. So basically, we didn't just translate the script. We adapted it and rewrote many pieces of it and made them relevant in the local language and then hired you know, big comedic stars that then can bring the characters to life in a very different way. Um, and I think that's the way you have to do it. It's like there is no... One size fits all. Sometimes there are a uh, biggest stuff. I would say Marvel uh, and the superhero stuff. It's difficult to deviate, even though you look at campaigns around the world and they are different. The, the people that understand that you have to do it. So um,
1: I think what all, I what I always appreciate about what you guys did is one because we uh, upstairs on the third floor were a little how you say crazy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, understatement, yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, unhinged. We,
1: Unhinged. 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 Unhinged, yeah, which yeah. made uh, right. Paul and Thomas's and their entire team's uh, life a lot more complicated, to say the least. <laughs>
2: Entertaining, go on.
1: Entertaining, yeah, at least you were entertained. Yeah, you were entertained.
2: Oh, you're not entertained.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say what I, I appreciated about it is like how you guys were able to take a lot of the stuff that we often delivered late and just sort of get it out there and turn it into and own it in each territory. And what I also think is very interesting is when I was at Fox, that was very much, it worked, like cutting the trailer and then sort of backing into a strategy worked for domestic. Yeah. But you guys really, like we were talking a little bit pre-show, you guys really had to focus more on the strategy and how you're going to roll out the materials on at every territory because yeah. it wasn't always day and date. You had different dates and different, you know, uh, dates of release and whatnot. And it's interesting to me that now it seems like the way you guys were doing things is how a lot of the studios have shifted because you can't rely so much on putting that 30-second TV spot on American Idol and watching your tracking jump 10 points. You can't do that anymore. So it has to be more thoughtful and more um, you know, long, long-term thinking and very much sort of like beating the drum as you w- work your way up to release. And I think that's... That's really fascinating to me how the industry has sort of shifted in that way. And now what you guys are doing <laughs> five years ago is how everybody's doing it now.
2: And think about what's happened. The difference were, was already very apparent internationally versus the U.S. because you didn't have the tonnage when mm-hmm. you release something like, let's say in the, in the U.S. I can't I, I can't even remember that it was like in the days when TV mattered, even though, you know, the rating points means nothing right and i try to tell everyone this like that's a that's a buying currency you know you buy you know 1000 points it doesn't mean anything in terms of how many people you're going to reach right because the the message you have the placement the you know someone go up and get a coffee i mean it's like doesn't mean anything right uh, but in in the uk sometimes for instance you can release stuff with 150 rating points so you don't you just couldn't reach the same mass awareness so you had to be Sort of smarter and build a campaign with very early, um, sort of teasing it out there and everything, and use uh, non-paid media so much more. And it's funny that behind you, Keith, the poster for Jumper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we made I think ten different posters for that one, and we had the same sort of image. I think it was a bit closer up with a lead yeah. character in various you know capital cities around the world. So in the UK, he was in London and. In, Tokyo, in Japan, it was in Tokyo. So we it localized them. If that had a big, big impact, I don't know, right? It was like, but it's at least a way, get the local markets enthusiastic as well, right? So, and also I think, one thing I think we tried to do early on as well is I think we realized early on that the whole world, all of marketing was digital, right? The minute you had more friends on MySpace, I would call it even, more friends on MySpace than in real life, everything was digital, right so this idea that it used to be that there's like a couple of geeks in the corner and made some websites and stuff right we stopped that immediately and when we did something that a few people weren't too happy about but i broke up the digital team and put them a digital expert in the different groups so one in creative advertising one in publicity one promotions and because that's the way it should be you have to teach from within right and you have then champions instead. And our head of digital became the evangelist, right, to teach people how to think in the in the new world and the terms of the new world of, of marketing.
0: That sounds pretty brilliant because I think there was slow adapters to that those kind of changes. Even today, so I think about a lot of what's changing in the, in the industry today, and I think very similar to the transition you're talking about, people are thinking differently and those who will evolve and do something different or bring in something that looks like an anomaly that we know is part of the future has got to be part of it. Yeah. One thing Keith, um, rants about, <laughs> I feel like given a chance is yeah. what it means to get back into the theater and the real effort it takes to get people to go back in. Both of you guys have an experience of getting people in the theater. We'll say in the old days, but do you do the two of you guys have something to, that you collaborate on of what it's going to take to get some people back in the theater you know, in, in August of 2021?
2: Consistency of product is number one, right? You, you don't, you don't change a habit. You know, that there's, again, I don't know how, how true it is, right? But, but supposedly people's habits change as quickly as, you know, seven months, people say seven, you know, to eight 60 months.
1: days is what they usually say. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But it can be even that short. But if you talk about, Things that are instilled in you, like what you do right every day and how you do certain things, and theater has been gone for much longer than that, right? So then, to bring people back, you have to do something very special. I mean, I was been ranting about this as well because I've seen the worst, uh, the worst missed opportunity, right, when everything was closed. And I think this is something for the whole world. I, I was ranting about this on KCRW, our local radio station here, the NPR radio station. I think. When everything is shut down why don't you fix the fucking infrastructure now's the time when no one's on the streets to do all the fucking road work (laughs) how you can build and i had this like crazy idea of building like moving you know sidewalks on top of every sidewalk in la right so you can get up there and then you can like you don't have to even change anything you just build something on top of something right and people can actually move that way and the same thing with movie theaters people are now coming back and you would have to assume that they're going to be clean and be cleaned all the time and it's going to be easier to buy stuff and everything but i was like i had bigger vision of that why like why call it movie theaters why it's it's the biggest entertainment palaces there are and right and it's the it's the one form of entertainment that's larger than life right still the only one everything else the same size as life or or smaller and why only use it for movies Right. It could have been anything. And I would have, if I ran an exhibit chain, I would have ripped up all the chairs and put in a modular seating program instead, right? So you can sit together, not just for the pandemic, but just in a much cooler way of doing it, right? And then get into esports and 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 don't look at um don't look at sort of what's called alternative programming as alternative and some niche thing. Do it properly. More live concerts, more big events, product launches, even. They mean anything, right? So that's, I think, is a missed opportunity that the exhibitors could have made the experience even better. It's good. It was good, good enough. And then we have to have the consistency of product. Right. There has to be new things coming out. King Kong came out and it's like, after that, nothing, right? There's nothing. <laughs> There's nothing else. Anyway. No, it's like, right.
1: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because our former boss, Tom Rothman, was on a podcast not too long ago. And that was very much his mantra. He was oh really yeah, he basically came out and said he qu- he quoted Beyonce saying, make good shit. like we're gonna have to make good shit. The bar has, has been raised even more. You can't expect people to show up for a, a garbage movie anymore. Like it's just because it, it has shifted so much that we're gonna have to make better and better films to draw people back into the theater. And I'm heartened by what you said because I feel like there's nobody else in the industry that's really saying anything like about how we need to change the movie going experience. You're right. It was good, but it's been almost 14 months since a lot of people have stepped foot in a theater and you're not going to get them to come back just for the same old experience. It needs to be better. And I don't know if we're going to, I mean, I feel like a lot of people in the industry are basically whistling past the graveyard. Like yesterday, I. Uh, So true. I stepped in and I watched a little bit of the Variety Entertainment Marketing Summit and it was just mind-boggling to me. Like, Claudia Eller was interviewing Assad and Assad Ayaz as and um, Joe Early from Disney yeah. and Disney Plus. And it was like the pandemic hadn't even happened. She asked like one question about, oh, you know, it's been a rough year for everyone. How is it working on the Mandalorian? And I'm like, really? Like, you don't want to say like, hey, how are you gonna get people back into the theaters? Like, are you just, it seems like they all just assume that everyone's just gonna show up. And I'm like, I just.
2: I think it's either that or it's just like, oh, it's gone, it's dead. A lot of people like, yeah. almost like with glee and it's always have been. Hollywood is like, you know, you know, sort of the, the ugly stepchild, right? Everyone's been kicking at that forever, right? Even though so many other industries are worse. Most of them, them are much, much worse in many ways, right? But either it's like it's gone forever, no one's coming back because I've got a TV at home. That's not true, right? Because you look at what's happened to, you know, quality. That's not a, that's a subjective word, obviously, but so much fucking shit on streamers at the moment. Of course, they haven't had a chance to to produce, right? And they've lost a lot of licensed content from Netflix and all that stuff, right? But I'll tell you one interesting one, and I hope it will take off. I'm developing... Uh, two project for it and it's a company called control control movie uh they started pitching this idea which is basically an interactive way of watching movies where you, you choose your own adventure in a movie theater right so you download a, an app uh, on your phone and then that blacks down the screen and then every sort of couple of minutes or something there'll be a question coming up on the screen and you press yes or no right or you choose something. So the audience get really enthusiastic and involved and start screaming, press yes, press yes. And every film project have like seven different endings and like 20 ways to get there. And it's an amazing sort of way they build all this stuff. And they have some big, which I can't mention them, it's some big filmmakers and producers that already are involved in in producing content for it. And I have two ideas, the one that they want to buy, uh, sort of a survival action survival horror movie uh, which is perfect for it with a big cast and different endings and everything that's the kind of way to get people excited and before the pandemic exhibitors were like uh, I, I don't understand it now it's yeah. like when can i get it because <laughs> they do understand that you have to do something like that yeah. right and the good thing is that that then lives at home afterwards where you can actually sit there and control it yourself and see all the different endings and you know, build your own story kind of thing. Right.
0: One of the first things that we recognized on when we started the podcast was the end of the Paramount Decree where basically the studios and the distributors no longer have that monopoly issue. Um, we're almost curious what that means to the studio, because, you know, there's lobbyists and they're making sure the Paramount Decree was was. Gone right. It didn't just disappear and out of someone's good good heart. So there was there are people with an agenda walking through that situation, and it benefits the studio to have the distributor follow their lead or be able to, to acquire studios or, or or distributors or whatever that is. Um, I, I'm guessing the two the few players that are in that mix are Disney, Amazon, and Netflix. Yep. Those are the ones that want to mm-hmm. create the content and control the distribution. Something like you're talking about is a good reason why they're doing it. But I, I almost wonder if there isn't some other kind of bigger play of what it really means to own the entire pipeline. But these OTT platforms are these big players. I mean, so in international production, where you, where you came from, what your what your um, knowledge base is, you know, what's actually happening internationally in the OTT space? and do you have a feeling there's going to be, a different kind of breakthrough when it comes to getting people into the theaters or are they kind of following the U.S. marketplace and whatever U.S. does, international uh, will follow?
2: I mean, you've seen already, obviously, the result of the, the territories that open up first, right? Uh, Japan, Korea, China, all of all of Eastern uh, or North Asia, basically, and did, and did really well, extremely well. The big thing I think we're going to see a change, which is sort of a, an alarming thing in a way, right? Overall, for Hollywood, for the idea of what it have, shouldn't be called Hollywood anymore, LA County, or whatever it should be called. Hollywood. <laughs> or Commodityville, as I want to call it instead. <laughs>
1: Commodityville. <laughs> nice.
2: Now, what's happened is, and this happens in every every market in one way or another, right? And we first saw it and was very alarmed by this about 20 years ago when Japan changed from you know embracing anything and everything hollywood right films easily like a diode film made 150 million dollars in japan right and then suddenly it just the air went out of the balloon and the japanese started looking inwards it normally happens uh, and it's a sociological phenomenon that when you're going through either recession or a big crisis in a country you want to understand you, yourself and your own culture why this is happening and who am i and where am I in this in this world, right? And they start consuming the local product instead, right? Happened in Japan. It's come back a little bit in Japan. Uh, they love musicals still and the big stuff they still dig, right? But all the other stuff, is just never to come back, right, in Japan. We're seeing it in China now as well, right? When it needs to be something fairly spectacular from Hollywood to really break through because they do their own stuff and they do it really well, right? They came over and, you know, stole all the technological ideas how to do things and we helped them <laughs> yeah we helped them I, I I had Chinese directors and producers came over and I went I, I sent them through like a school of filmmaking right and production and then they went back to China and, and didn't make the film with Fox they're just like oh, thank you very much <laughs> yeah. that's like thank you for that, the knowledge um, and everyone can do it
0: now Wow so what you're saying is is like you can imagine just with the global shutdown it's really all those markets are going to possibly do inward looking. I think it's happening. Production and the international distribution just shuts down. Oh, wow.
2: And not only that, right? Look, look how what Netflix have helped as well. And I think in many ways, Narcos was probably one of the first one right, where like 40% of the dialogue was in Spanish. So no one had any problem watching it with subtitles and see the result of a lot of international fare. Uh, because it's available now know, no one would ever put up, you know, one of the TV series that we see now from France or from Sweden or whatever on broadcast TV in the U.S., for instance. So it was never even allowed. Right. Um, so the world is finally opening up to new experiences. And us here in Commodityville, we have to follow suit. Right. We have to understand that when I was at Fox International Production, two moments really stick in my mind right i had a amazing script uh, from producer kevin Misher who did um, the latest thing we did was uh, coming to america too called k-pop and it was k-a-y-p-o-p but this american girl in kansas who got discovered because her brother put up a video on youtube about dancing to k-pop songs and get brought over to korea to join the sort of a like k-pop american idol kind of thing right and hilarity ensues right so that sort of a little bit like um a um whatever the film was with the acapella group and everything but anyway uh really funny comedy i presented that one even with the big numbers how big k-pop is in the world it's like possibly the biggest cultural movement since the beatles in the usa i'm not kidding it's like the impact is had culturally and socially and, and and in every way right so phenomenal and you should see the faces around the, the in the meeting room and i presented everyone like uh what the k k korea it's always like where is korea so they sing so so they sing in english they sing in english no no they sing in korean but they're american artists no no they're korean artists oh and what's the music well it's sort of mixed between you know hip-hop with korean um sort of influences and the style the clothing is more european sort of british and the songs are written in sweden and they're like Oh what? no, no, no! We're not doing this.
0: They're like Thomas. Put that into English for us. What does it?
2: <laughs> yeah, and then fast forward like three years, and then everyone's buying K-pop scripts, right? It's like l- look outside, you know. Travel east of fucking Lasianega, right? And and realize that there is a there's a world out there, right? As I said, you know, like seven point three billion people. It's probably more now. That's seven point three billion stories that haven't been told, right? And to not Uh, embrace that one just madness and the other one was like I was doing the first I was making the first Indonesian US co-production and everyone's like Indonesia why we do small country like that it's like it's the fourth biggest country in the world right it's it's just it's China India the US Indonesia and it's the fastest-growing media market in the world like double digits faster growing than China and No one had any idea and even presenting the numbers for a film that was gonna cost what the catering budget was on Avatar, right? Um, We debated that for like two months. And I'm like, it's two million bucks. It's like, we lose that by being stupid every day. But so that that thing, uh, to not understand, you know, to look outwards it became like a lot of studios before the pandemic especially started looking so much inwards and like we control everything that's the way to do it and we tell our stories um and that's how we suffer i mean look what happened to fox
0: yeah that's some great insight that's some great insight well i'll say
1: another the other famous quote that thomas is a tribute to thomas is um it was uh most people who make movies live behind gates and work behind gates and 98 percent of the movie going audience does not yeah and they often lose that perspective. And you just made that point right there with the fact that they didn't go east of Los Diego They don't go south of the airport.
2: <laughs> it's, it is a gated community. That's exactly what it is, right? Um, and it goes for, and that's the scariest thing, right? Then you go into your office then, and like go like, mm, let's entertain the world. It's like, yeah, try to find the, the, you know, the world on a map.
0: First of all, you couldn't
2: <laughs> pick it out, you know? <laughs> is, is this the world? Is this
0: is this the world? Is this where I live? It's like, it. <laughs> right? We tell the world how to think, is what we how would they do in Hollywood? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The um, but what I hear the pivot is from you is that the at one point it was an opportunity. You recognize it as a growing market opportunity. Now it sounds like it's a necessity. Yeah. Like COVID has created the absolute reality that these countries are going to become insular. They're going to do their own stuff, make their own content. I mean, why the hell not? There's not even a a standard of which people will roll out entertainment, can get back to work, any of that kind of stuff. So the ability and the need to almost start creating your own.
2: That's absolutely true.
0: That we're going to be responding so much faster, or at least the the market's going to have to respond really fast or lose it. We're going to be losing a third of our audience or at least half our audience if we don't understand how international works.
2: And I also think it's not just... It's not just from a storytelling perspective. <clears throat> what, what, the, what the pandemic is, has ushered in quicker, it, is, it was happening already, is the idea of, and I use that in a looser term than, than it's sort of used now with virtual production, the idea of, of doing stuff literally around the world. If you look at animation, it's always been done in a way, right? But then they've used, you know, they've outsourced stuff to an animation house in, in India. There's a big one in Canada, there's in China, all over the world, right? But now, people are looking at doing stuff where they actually utilize uh, creative houses as well and animation, special animation and, and motion capture and, and and special effects and everything that actually exist in other countries, right? And again, I know this is a little bit more because being Swedish, but Sweden is the third biggest country in the world in terms of music export after the US and the UK, which is incredible country with 10 million people. And it, was, it started Obviously, ABBA was a big thing back in the seventies and everything. But it started with a bunch of DJs in the early nineties that got together and started first called Sweet Mix and then a studio called Sharon. And they're the ones that have written every hit by Britney Spears, and Backstreet Boys, back in the nineties and two thousand. Now writes all the the Weekend and all the K-pop songs and everything. And it was a bunch of guys in Stockholm, right? And what they did, which was so clever, they set it up so that you could record it in wherever you live, L.A., New York, London, whatever, right? And just, you know, pipe it into their their studio and they mix it there. Or you can actually go to Sweden and get away from the madness here, uh, wherever you are, and actually be creative. And actually, I work with an animation studio that is set up the same way with the idea that you can either go there and be away from everything and and work creatively with the group, or you work seamlessly between, you know, uh, any country and any place in the world together with this sort of where the hub is, it just happens to be in Sweden instead of here or in London or whatever, right?
0: Yeah, I think I've seen that evolution take place um, truly in the last five years, it seems more and more. And then again, 20 months ago, it became a necessity. That's exactly it. And it really was the have and have nots. I mean, it was that quickly. Um, But you can imagine now, you know, there are gonna be people, people slower to get to work and would love to record into something so that technology that growth and those services are going to just expand Absolutely, Um, really interesting because the international um marketplace is something that most people when they're building their hollywood films are not thinking of it strategically as a place to break in or even as a secondary market um i know in television we do platform plays that are sold into international and you're making returns greater in your international platform sales than you do um, in domestic sales sometimes so it's it's absolutely amazing to get some of that insider's idea of wh- where that shift's going to take place
2: and i think what, an important thing to think about as well which is like it's been a missed opportunity i think a lot of the times as well is that i think Hollywood have been really good at identifying talent from abroad easier to uh, import sort of actors if you like right and and sort of more the craftsmen of in, in the industry, right? But acting definitely, and sometimes writing, but it, that's a cultural divide sometimes as well, right? But directors, it's something, an opportunity we squandered, right? Because normally you pick someone, let's say, and I know so many, uh, like German directors, for instance, they're amazing directors who do certain things that they get famous for in Germany, get enormously successful. People find out about it here because it's sort of, you know, it crosses borders. Bring them over to um, to Hollywood and get them to make, you know, mechanic with Jason Statham. Nothing wrong about him or anything like that. But director that's done completely different things before and now gets like given a an action movie that they've never done before and in a in a system that they're not used to, right? Where they used to be in control of everything and here they and here's the machine, right? It's like a factory, and and they get so disillusioned, they go back home, right? Because We we don't hire them for what they were good at, right? We hire them because they were a name.
1: I think that's that's what I'm hopeful about everything that sort of happened over the last 14 months. I agree. It's it's broken a lot of the, it's brought a lot of things to the forefront that have been issues underlying the industry for the last five to 10 years, but the studio system is cracking And that's why I'm hopeful this is the opportunity, like you said, that young and upcoming directors can now get their movies out there with not necessarily having to go through the machine of the studios. And you can make it yourself, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, and that is something that we're, you know, that we talk a lot about at Hollywood Breaks is sort of with great you know, destruction obviously also comes some opportunity as well. And we're seeing a lot of the traditional studio model that was built in the fifties, basically falling apart. And now there's going to be a lot of opportunities for hopefully the young filmmakers that are up and coming to make their movies outside of the very sort of confined refinements of the studio system. So
2: I want to ask you a question about this as well, what you think, but I think the only danger sometimes with, um, with a breakup or the, some people see it an amazing opportunity but look at music right where I, I, again paraphrasing but i believe it's like forty thousand new songs released every day right on spotify something like that right um how the hell do you find it and look at america which is like it's so segmented and so defined by genre right the r b station only play r b heavy metal only plays heavy metal. i mean it's like the only thing where I found music living in L.A. was, you know, Morning Becomes Eclectic on KCRW because they did a bit, bit about everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right.
2: <laughs> Even they didn't do everything, right? There were certain things, genres they didn't touch, right? But what happens then is like, and, and much more so here in the U.S., I think, and they're big global acts, right? But if you think about it, there's like 15 big music stars and they all collaborate together and they they are performing on each other's albums there's like there's one british guy maybe what's the, the ginger guy from the uk uh eddie sheer right? he's like him beyonce the weekend break i mean it's like a, a, and they they're like they're the only ones and then there are forty thousand new songs coming every day how do, how do you find them right it has to we have to get new custodians and people that are um curators in a way and pushing stuff out there that has to be better and it's not algorithms i'm sorry that's such bullshit all that stuff right data <laughs> data can only tell you what not to do it can never tell you what to do never it can never tell you it can tell you what not to do and, and, and give you past sort of the pitfalls and everything and and i was gonna ask you this about about the industry here as well what you think right because do you think we're gonna see a bigger what do you think Keith because you, I know and I've been following uh, your podcast and I think it's so important what you guys are doing because this is the conversation to have. I always say that nothing happens. People keep asking in our know, industry right now what's going to happen? So well, nothing is happening. What are you doing I mean because it's not like the bosses are really making you know the big strategic decision. They will give you the, the funds, the resources and everything to make shit happen. like there's very few Steve Jobs in this world right that does everything like look at like sort of a genius of bob iger but his genius was not like he came up with the stuff he made it happen because he like he can organize and mobilize an army right and he was amazing and very inspirational talk about him like his dad not right <laughs> but i wonder what do you think is going to happen with um in terms of concentration of of power when it comes to distribution because in a strange way, right? We've gone from paying 175 bucks a month on cable or satellite, right? To now getting close to that again with the streaming channels. I must say, I will, but Paramount Plus when I came, it was the first one I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a Star Trek fan, but I'm like, (laughs) one too many. I, I, I just can't. So is it better to have a concentration of power, you think, and have fewer players? Do you think we're gonna see, you know, Apple buy a studio or one of the other guys? I mean, what do you think? Is it a good thing or is that just a horrible scenario? Because looking at what's happening within the digital sphere, right? With Facebook, Apple, Google and and uh, um, whoever the other guys are. But you know, Amazon, right? The, the, the four bad guys, right? What do you think?
1: Well, what I think will happen is, I mean, it's already happening. I think they're all pretending like everything's gonna be hunky-dory once the product gets back into the theaters. Um, I don't think the changes are going to happen overnight, um, but I do think there has been something that has broken. I was talking about one of my clients about this yesterday, Um, and it's very much that it used to be New York and L.A. You had to be in New York or L.A. to make your movie or your TV show. The pandemic broke all that, and he made a comment saying, if I had $100,000, the last place I would put it in would be L.A. or New York. (laughs) Because those areas are slowly on the downslope. Now, they were already kind of on the downslope, but the pandemic, again, just sort of accelerated a lot of it. And the idea of you have to go through the massive system to get your content out there, I I think those days are waning. And you've got, you made a great point. Tim and I talk a lot about the what to watch problem in terms of figuring out how you find all this content and where you find it. But today's marketers... They do some good stuff, but they're not solving that problem. They're not even close to solving that problem. And that is where the future is. And I think that, I mean, the industry isn't going to change overnight, but I think a lot of the people that are there now are just happy in their cushy little jobs, but I think the world is crumbling around them. I think it's going to be interesting to see what studios, what studio or conglomerate steps up and starts playing with the theater experience. I think Disney may be one. Comcast could definitely be one because they have, experience with parks and amusements and that kind of thing but also what i've tried to do with my company vision craft brew is sort of go out and find these young up-and-coming filmmakers directors content makers and help them get the word out there are things that studios do well and the problem is that they keep it close to the vest i'm kind of break that down and say Screw that. I want to help these people get their stuff out because I'm tired of Paramount, Warner Brothers, Warner Media, controlling what everybody sees. And perfect example of all this is the Spirit, Independent Spirit Awards last night. Every single thing that won is probably going to win on Sunday. That tells you the problem with the industry. They are producing movies that only 700 members of the Academy of Motion Picker Arts and Sciences are watching. That has to end. And that's what we I think that is where we're headed now with this pandemic is that sort of breaking down those walls. And now
0: we're going to start seeing content that's sort of produced be outside of the system. I was going to say, if Keith and I have an agenda, it's really like to get people to change their own scorecard. If you keep trying to compare yourself to the blockbusters of yesterday, you're a fool like they don't do that anymore. There's a brand new marketplace. We talk about this a lot in our clubhouse, it's just the opportunity in the video game industry to tell stories. You have all these other platforms, TikToks and Snapchats and whatever that nobody even in the industry recognizes as a distribution channel, but they get more viewers and consuming more time that way. So if we all change our scorecard, we're gonna recognize where real entertainment takes place, but we almost get entertained in one space. And then we only keep score in these small little pockets that a few uh, conglomerates control. So. There is somebody trying to make a monopoly. We know that's true. That's why the Paramount Decree is doing what's doing. That's why some of the pandemic is playing itself out. And I think the distributors know it. That's why they're making the most noise of what's what's happening. They're probably the ones most afraid and making the most noise of uh, what, what's fair because OTT is just jumping over their heads.
2: Absolutely true. And I, I tell you what, when I started my production company and I had a very clear vision of what I, what i wanted it to be from my learnings at, at fox especially but seeing where the sort of the, the world was heading um and i picked the name mad science for a reasons uh, for a reason uh, uh because the, the idea of mad is the creativity world and then science the fact that i want to use and now coming back to the idea we talk about with data and research and everything but i want to make sure that um first what i'm what i'm doing in trying to develop and finding content First, a lot of stuff gets sort of sent to me because I know a lot of people and, uh, and I help people sort of put together the pitch and, and with development and everything. But the stuff I'm doing myself is that I'm looking very carefully and sort of crunch not just numbers, but just look around the world what stories have not been told. There's, so, some, there's certain reasons why they haven't been told because they're crap, right? But there are other stories that should be told that people have been afraid to tell, especially the studios, as we know. A lot of stuff is acting from fear. And oh, we can't do that because that's too niche. We can't do that. Blah, 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 all these things. So I'm looking at that. That's the number one thing. And then I'm building and I have built this sort of proprietary uh, development research workflow, right? When I try to have a continuous feedback loop with audiences. So even from concept, and then even when there's a screenplay, we do like um, sort of table reads before the film is is cast even so this hired actors that not going to be in the movie but they're great voice actors film it or have an audience we will start with audience when everything gets back to normal right to see the flow if it works again to, to help you what's not working right it's not telling us what to do but what not to do when people don't get it when you lose because the problem is from the mind of the writer to the audience understanding what that writer was thinking a lot of the time because he knows the characters, but how do you, that's the, that's where the shadow falls, right? Uh, how to make that actually something that everyone gets. So that's what I'm doing. I mean, I'm developing a, it's nothing new right now, I guess, right? Because people have done it, but I'm doing a a musical um, with music from both 90s and the 80s and everything. Sort of like a. the music scenes are, are happening sort of in a, in a dream world. And then it's a normal dramatic story with the two, lead characters the, the the love couple the couple um, that it's about the two gay guys here in LA uh no one's done that before as a musical i think anyway and i'm like why not i mean why not it's bizarre right that we don't think about it in that way and it's bizarre how still we have a discussion about you know inclusiveness when you look at the audience and you think shouldn't we mirror the audience like i used Fast and Furious as the best example. I call every project I do, this is the Fast and Furious of musicals. This is the Fast and Furious of <laughs> children animation. I mean, because if not thinking that, and, and what I've done with my company, I'm now sort of trying to do this this alliance with a, a, a new, very, very fascinating little production company that work a lot more in the Broadway scene, but also movies with like i think the average age of of everyone that works there is like 11 or something like that you know 17 maybe not really but they're like in the 20s they're like in the (laughs) 20s they feel that yeah they're in the 20s and maybe (laughs) someone early 30s i don't even think so but man how refreshing that is it's just amazing it's that it's how i felt when i started and i tried to retain the optimism the, the the curiosity if you keep the curiosity and you're open to be surprised and, and be proven wrong as well, right? It's the most amazing thing there is, right?
0: No, the the college graduates today they're entering our workforce and competing with us with the same jobs we're looking for. Yeah. Never lived a life without YouTube, right? So they almost wonder, like, why would anyone give me permission to make something? I could just I could shoot it, direct it, produce it, distribute it in about 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and we're like, we're still a bit like, but it takes about four or five weeks to do that. And it's not true. They're proving us wrong every day. Yeah, that, I think those are the shifts that we're recognizing that are probably the biggest players in our industry right now. And the idea and the ability to embrace it, it's very exciting if you can see it. And we yeah. just want people to see it. We want people to talk about it. It's good to know that the world is really here and available right now. And the pandemic actually created more opportunities for us to engage that world understand it more and welcome it into our own communities there's some there's some pretty amazing opportunities for all of us to recognize that
2: and, and it is the, the most i mean when i talk I and mean, keith clearly you do the, exactly the same thing as well when i talk to either you know new actors and it was a back at fox and everything is well, actors and directors and 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 writers who want to sort of get into and then it was like how do i get into the industry because they felt like again behind those gates that's where the magic happens i said the one thing I told everyone is like just do right if you're a writer just write if you're an actor act you know you have a you have a phone you know you can make your own stuff right make your own memes make short comedy stuff whatever you want to just act if you're a director direct it's the thing like when people call themselves writers haven't finished a, a screenplay yet or even finished anything it's like well write what the fuck are you doing it's like <laughs> that's that's if that's what you're passionate about and what you're good at and you want to get better at it right that's what you do i mean i i made a i made a uh very strange i haven't figured it out until now but I, it takes a long time for me to to understand myself sometimes but i've always been into music i like playing composing listening music's my sort of you know as much a love as as film and tv is but um i I released two uh albums during uh, the uh um during the pandemic, I was going to release two more now, and it's it's under the label of yoga music. It's not yoga music; it's sort of ambient, sort of cinematic music. It, yoga practitioners probably won't like it too much, but who cares? Um, so, because uh, I don't do yoga, so I wouldn't know. But so, that, and the fourth, and the fourth, the fourth album is like uh, basically a soundtrack for life. It's actually film music, sort of, but set to having in the background. Uh, it's written for you, like from morning to evening, kind of thing. And I did it because like I can, right? I had it and I released Spotify and Apple and everything. No one's listening to it. It's like fifteen people, but and I have a next step will be to market it. But I also figured out like because I did like you know pop music as well. And I realized I'm too old for this shit, right? So I stopped singing. I gave my (laughs) I gave my uh, my microphone. (laughs) Because I'm like, I'm bad at this. Why am I? pretending that I'm doing this. You have to know your limits as well and then focus on the stuff that, you, that you're that you really good at, right? But it's about doing all the time. Just keep doing, doing, doing. And you know what? Uh, cream rises to the top, right? If you're good, it will happen. Even if you don't become world breaker, right? And you don't have that number one hit. That's not the thing. Get two people to listen to it, two people to listen to it and enjoy it. What's wrong with that? Right. That's an amazing achievement.
0: Well, I, I love that thought as a wrap up here, it's almost a bookend to the first thought of what you said of like, you have to be making good stuff. That's what the world needs. And I love the idea of speaking to your audience, knowing that there's something bigger out there waiting for us and the gatekeepers or the people even behind the gates, as you guys quote would go, um, are not the ones that are going to decide, you know, how this whole thing works out. So, Thomas, I really appreciate you jumping on Hollywood Breaks with us and giving some of your insights. Um, it's exciting to hear all of this from a different perspective. We are just kind of pulling this thing apart and looking at Hollywood um, and the makings of it. So get more into it. It's awesome.
2: I, that's why I sent a note to Keith um, in the beginning when I discovered what you guys were doing. I said it's so important because it's, it's all about keeping a, a, a conversation going. And because you guys know it, because the problem is if you read the trades, most of the journalists don't really know how it works, right? Uh, they know what they're being told, but they don't know the machinations behind everything, and even the the, the financial reality of things, right? Um, so that's not the place to go and try to figure out what, what, where things are happening. I think this is one of the forums. Yeah, and watch.
0: not to mention the journalists are being paid by the advertisers. So there's yeah, obviously is the- exactly by the studio. <laughs> <Exactly>. so- <laughs> All right, Thomas. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope to have you again back back soon and keith uh as always we'll see you um thank you guys really enjoyed this very small. um and we'll see you thanks for being part of uh watching the show today if you like what you see please subscribe if you're listening please give us a high rating everybody needs to have this information and thomas's voice needs to be heard around the world so make sure you're um giving us a big thumbs up on on whatever platform you're listening on um if you want to hear more i'm
2: i'm gonna give it a five I'm definitely going to give you some
0: time. And if you want to hear more, we we will be on Clubhouse tomorrow morning talking about uh, more of this evolution and the things that we heard this week. So thank you all, and we'll see you next week.